this spring, I graduated from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary with my Ph.D., and so I just realized that this week and realized once again just how old I am getting. Um, but I, I contend that earning a degree like that really isn't so much about how intelligent you are. It's really about just not giving up, okay? Uh, and when, you, when I was going through this program, there were several occasions where I was ready to just quit, uh, and I, my mom and dad and, and my wife and my friends just kept urging me and pushing me and threatening my life uh, that I had to go and, and continue and finish this degree. <clears throat> but I can remember even when I was starting in the program where we had this class that kind of just introduced you to, to what the program was all about. And the professor was talking to us and he was kind of giving us the the get up and go speech there at the very beginning and he was talking to us about some guys who had started the program and they will call themselves ABD and he said you know what ABD stands for and of course we had no idea and he says it stands for all but dissertation so they took the classes you know at the beginning part of the program but they never wrote their dissertation and he says you know what you call someone who is ABD and we said no and he goes you don't call them anything because they didn't finish uh, and he, he was telling us you have to continue you have to finish you have to press on now we're walking through the book of Hebrews on Sunday mornings and and this entire series is called a better hope and we have been showing over and over how Christ is better how how Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament how he really is the Messiah of God and how all of our hope is found in him. And so when we come to this passage today in Hebrews chapter 10, what the author of Hebrews is telling these uh, Christians who are coming out of a Jewish background is this. Don't give up. You have to continue to press on. You have to continue to walk forward in your faith in Christ. And he is telling them in this passage that they can walk in boldness because of their position in Christ. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask that you stand in honor of God's Word if you're able. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. Today we're studying verses 19 through the end of the chapter. But I want you to focus in on verse 19 this morning as we begin Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. The Word of God says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, then let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thank you. You may be seated. As we take this passage this morning and we want to apply it into our hearts and our lives here in the year 2022, uh, the action step for us today is this, don't give up. Don't 
give up. Listen, I know that this journey that we are on together, this walk with Christ, is hard at times. There's going to be discouragements. There's going to be trials. You're going to face temptations. There's going to be all sorts of things that are going to happen in your life. And what I'm saying today is don't give up. As we look at our passage this morning, I want us to begin by seeing this call to bold living in verses 19 through 25. In verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he's inaugurated for us a new and a living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. And so he, he outlines here at, the, at this section in verse 19 all of our reasoning. He says, because Christ has fulfilled his mission, we can come to God. Not only can we come to God, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come with boldness. And so because Christ has fulfilled his mission, we are able to come to God. Because Christ, he says, is our mediator, because Christ has inaugurated a new covenant, because Christ has provided the perfect sacrifice, because Christ serves as our high priest, because of all these things, we can now draw near to God. One commentator writes, God has done his part so we can be enabled to do ours. Look at all that Christ has done. And so he says, here's, here's our part. Here's, here's what we can do. Verse 22, then let us then draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. He says, let us then live with assurance, full assurance of our faith. When we respond to Christ by faith, the Bible tells us that we are forgiven of our sins, that we are made whole. And this is what God does in our hearts when we respond, that we're forgiven. Our sins are removed from us. We are, we are cleansed from our sins. And he says, you don't have to doubt. You can come with full assurance of faith because of who Christ is and because of what Christ has done. This past week, we lost a dear man, a dear saint that worked here at our church for, for years and years, Don Disney. And I was there the day before he passed. I was there by his bedside and was talking with him. And he was such an encouragement to me more than I was to him, I'm sure. But as I was leaving, I knew this would be be the last time that I would see him here, uh, I said to him, I'll see you again. And you know what? I could say that with full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. I said, Don, I'll see you again. Because I know I will. Why? Because Christ has fulfilled his mission, because he's our mediator, because he's inaugurated a new covenant and provided the perfect sacrifice, and he's our high priest, and I can live with assurance. And so can you, if you have Christ. What else can we do in verse 23? He tells us, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And so what is it that we can do? We can live with faithfulness, with obedience. Because 
uh, our confession, he says, hold on to the confession of our hope. Our confession is our expression of our faith. It's our hope in Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's our trust of his work in our lives. And the author of Hebrews says to do this without wavering. He says this is the way in which you are to hold fast. The idea here is that you would be unmoved, that you would not be shaken, that you would be fixed upon the firm foundation, that you would be set up upon the rock of your salvation, and that you would stand strong in your faith. You can live with faithfulness because of all these things that Christ has done and because of who he is. That immovability is not based on my strength or, or, on, or on my gumption. It's based upon the object of my confession. It's based upon the one in whom I have placed my hope and my trust. And Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. He is the one who is the solid rock. He is the one who, the Bible says, is a strong tower. And we can stand because Christ is on our side. Verse 23, for he who promised is faithful. And so because Christ is faithful and our confession is in him, then our hope is sure and it is secure. It says, so then let us hold fast to that confession. And this is where some of us are now. We've responded to Christ in faith, and so it is a matter for us of remaining. It's a matter of holding fast to our confession because some of us may be wavering in our faith. Maybe as you look over your life and as you begin to examine your heart, you say, well, I, I feel like I used to really be strong in my faith. I, I used to really be active in serving. I used to really feel like I was on fire for Jesus, but now you're not. Maybe it's because you've fallen out of the habit. I mean, COVID put a wrench in a lot of people's lives, and, and maybe you just kind of never came out of that. You got kind of comfortable not doing things. Maybe it was because you had some life changes. Maybe it's because you've had your feelings hurt for whatever reason. It could be any number of things, but, but now you feel like as you look at your, at your walk, you're faltering, you're struggling, you're down. And the question is, are you going to stand strong, to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering? Because that's my plea this morning to you, to remain strong in the Lord, to not waver, to not be tossed to and fro, to not let the winds and the waves beat you down but to remain fixed on the solid rock. As you continue down to verses 24 and 25, he says something else that we can do. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He says we can encourage one another in when he speaks about, about uh, not neglecting to gather together, or some, some translations say not forsaking assembling together, he's talking about the church gathering. In whatever form the church was gathering in that 
in that time, evidently some of the folks that he's writing to had become lackadaisical about it. And so what that tells me is people laying out of church has been going on since the first century, okay? He's writing it to them then. But meeting together is important for Christians. It's really important for us. One, because Scripture commands us to do it, and so it's a matter of obedience. But secondly, because you need it. I need it. I need you. You need me. We need to be together because it's beneficial to your walk with Christ. To have the word of God taught and to be challenged in your faith. Where you're given opportunities to, to exercise your spiritual gifts and to serve the Lord. Where you have a brother and a sister who will stand beside you and pray with you. Where you have uh, the opportunity to function as a body. Where we work together and we reflect the body of Christ. We, I need it. But thirdly, other people need you. It's not just that that you need it for your walk. Other people need you to live out your faith and to exercise your gifts to bless them and to edify them. Because as we serve, we're reaching out and we're taking care of one another. We're reaching out and we're witnessing to a lost world. When we meet together, we encourage one another and we sharpen one another. We're pushing one another to greater faithfulness in our walk with God. We're provoking one another to love and good works. And so this is the point where a lot of us are now. We have responded in faith. We're, we're holding fast to our confession. And now it is time for us to reach out and rescue the perishing. It's time for us to reach out and minister to the saints. And he says that, that we ought to not neglect meeting together all the more, he says, as we see the day approaching. He's referring to the day of Christ's return, that day that human history ends, the day that there are no more second chances, the day that there are no more do-overs, there will be no more I'm not ready yet. And he says, as we see that day drawing near, we are compelled more and more to reach out. And we do this because we understand the ramification of Christ's return. Of all people, Christians know what that day means. And so all the more we ought to be eager to meet together, to honor God, and to reach out. He says it's time for us to have some bold living. But secondly, we see in this passage that the author of Hebrews issues a bold warning. He gives us a, a hypothetical situation to his audience. You'll recall the occasion for this letter is that he's, he's writing to Christians that are coming out of a Jewish background. 
And as you can tell from the argument that he makes all through the book of Hebrews, they're, they're thinking about returning back. Let's just go back to Judaism. Things were pretty good back then. Maybe we should go back and, and relive that, re, rehash that out. And so he's saying here, you're thinking about returning to Judaism. You're thinking about going back from Jesus? In verse 26 and 27, this is what he says. If we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Now, in the prior verses, he was reminding us of this new and living way that's inaugurated by Christ's blood. And he says to us all throughout the letter that Christ alone is the way of salvation. So how then could you consider turning from Christ? How then could you fall back into willful disobedience to God? He says, when you choose to do that, you are calling down judgment upon yourself. And he says, if you reject Christ, then we have no other option than to consider you as lost. We have to believe at that point that you never truly believed in Christ and that you're not saved. He says, if, this is, if, if you go back to that, he says, we have to understand that you're not a believer at that point. That you never were really trusting in Christ for salvation. In verse 28, he says, anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of just two or three witnesses. And he's referring to Old Testament judgments upon sin. But we know that throughout the book of Hebrews, he's argued that Christ is greater, that Christ is better, and that he's better than the Old Testament covenant, and he's doing it again here. So he says, you remember in the Old Testament, the law, that they died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses? At verse 29, he says, well, how much worse punishment then do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God? who's regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and who has insulted the spirit of grace. He says that that was the punishment for the Old Testament law, and you're treating as worthless the blood of Christ that offers us true forgiveness. How much worse punishment do you deserve? Because you're without excuse. He says you know the truth. You know better. It's not like you don't know the price of your sin. It's, it's not like you don't know the grace that's been shown by Jesus. And so if you decide to turn away from Christ, you have nothing. It's the same sort of idea that John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, where he says, that they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. That they, they were with the church for a while, and maybe it seemed like they were believers, but when they left, they proved that it was never real inside of their hearts. And that's exactly what he's saying to them. 
And I'm telling you today that our Bible Belt is filled with good people who are very nice and who are hospitable but for whom Christianity is nothing more than a cultural thing for them. It's not a vibrant relationship with the living God. There's no fruit of the Spirit in them. There is no life change that anyone can detect. And just like the author turned to this audience and says, he's calling them brothers and sisters all throughout the passage. He says, I'm calling you brothers and sisters, but if you turn back and give up, I'm going to have to believe that you're lost. I have to stand before you today and say, I'm calling you brothers and sisters because I can never really know what's going on inside of anybody's heart except my own. But if you have never have any fruit of a relationship with God, I'm going to have to believe that you're lost. And I want to give you every opportunity to respond to the grace of God in Christ. So that when you stand before God in judgment, you'll not be able to say, but I didn't know. Because in verse 31, he says, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so it's time to heed this bold warning if you're playing the the spirituality games. The last thing that he says in this passage is this. It's time for a bold endurance. He says, you've gone through all this before. Remember after you were saved and and all those hardships came upon you? Verse 32, remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. At other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions Because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. He says, listen, you're thinking about giving up now, but remember. Remember when you were mocked? Remember when you were shunned? Remember when you were ridiculed? Remember when the world said that you were ridiculous for believing in Jesus? That you were weak-minded? That you're just clinging to your religion? He says, listen, you suffered even more than that. Commentators suggest that that phrase, a hard struggle with sufferings, refers to physical abuse as well as verbal abuse. He says, remember, you were, you were beaten, you were, you were stoned, you were whipped. Some of you were even martyred. The book of Acts records many instances of these sort of physical abuses of Christians. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 41 The Bible says, they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. He says, you remember when you thought that it was a badge of honor? You thought it was a badge of honor to have had the privilege of suffering for Jesus. Why then now are you thinking of falling back? Why are you choosing 
to deliberately, willfully sin and turn from God. And listen, this is the point where some of us are now. Your friends think you're dumb because you go to church. Your family makes fun of your faith. There are other things that are pulling at your time and other things that are pulling at your affection. And the question that you have to answer in your heart is, am I going to endure it or am I going to give up? What he's asking them is, why why were you willing to suffer in the first place? It was because of your love for Christ. It was because of your understanding of his sacrifice and his suffering on your behalf. It was because you believed that Christ was worth it. Verse 34, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. He says, you didn't care when people took your possessions because you knew you had a better possession on the way. You didn't care if people harmed your earthly body because you knew you had a better body on the way. And so he says, be willing to remain and to stand up under these present afflictions that are just momentary and passing. He says, don't give up. If you ever come to my house, you'll probably be um, licked to death by my two dogs. I have a, um, a lab named Copper, and I have a, a um, German short-haired pointer named Jolene who just runs around chasing birds and squirrels all day long. And uh, sometimes she'll find something that's a little bit slower and easier to catch. And so a lot of mornings I'll come out and I'll notice that she has killed a possum, okay? When you live in the woods, that's what happens. And so there'll be a possum laying out in the yard. And so I'll go out there and I'll I'll pick up this possum by the tail. I I was reminded because I I literally had to do this this morning. Uh, And so uh, I got this possum by the tail and I mean a this big possum and I'm walking it out to the woods and, and throwing it out in the woods. And so it was, this past winter, uh, I come out in the morning, I notice that there's this possum that's laying right at the front doorstep. Like she had said, here, here's a present for you this morning. And there it was, right there at the front door. And so I open up the door, and I, I, I pick up this possum by the tail. I've got it, and I'm walking it out to uh, throw it out in the woods. And all of a sudden, that little possum goes, it just, he was playing possum, you know, that's, that's what they do. And it reminded me, don't give up, right? This dog is, is wearing you out. He left you for dead there on the uh, front steps, but he did not give up. And you know what? He's alive now out in the woods because he didn't give up. Now, I threw him really far after he looked at me. I just, he was gone after that point. But verse 35, he says, so don't Throw away your confidence. This has a great reward. You need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Is that great reward that lies ahead for us is eternal life. That God has prepared a paradise for his people. A place where all of the darkness of sin is absent and foreign. And he says that this is yours. So remain steadfast in your faith and in your hope in God. Verse 37, he says, for yet in a very little while, 
the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, then I have no pleasure in him. So right now when we look around, maybe all we see is doom. All we see is hardship. All we see is persecution. And I want you to trust in what you don't see yet. Stay strong in your faith in Christ. Don't miss out on the life that he desires for us. Don't forsake meeting together. Don't stop encouraging one another. Hold fast to your confession because the one who promised it is faithful. And draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. And all the more as you see the day drawing near because in a very little while he who is coming will come. And he'll not delay. So stand strong. Live by faith. Don't give up. Verse 39. Because we're not those that draw back and are destroyed. We are those who have faith and are saved. So Christians, the action step for you today is to not give up. And so maybe today this passage of scripture served as a reminder to you about the assurance that we have in Christ. Maybe you're dealing with doubt. Maybe you're dealing with different things in your, in your heart. But today you are reminded of the assurance that you have because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Maybe this passage today served to be a challenge to you to live it out, to not give up, to get up off the mat, to endure. So perhaps during this time of response, you want to spend some time in prayer here at this altar or, or there at your seat. Thanking Christ for who he is, for what he's done for you. Committing yourself to not give up. Maybe there are some here today who need to have this assurance in your heart. He begins this whole passage by reminding us why we have the boldness to enter. It's because of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for us. Because he died in our place and rose again to give us victory over sin and over death. And he's created the way of salvation for us. And without Christ, we have nothing. And without Christ today, you have nothing. You have no forgiveness for your sins. You have no hope of life that's abundant. No hope of life that's eternal. But today you can receive this gift into your heart by repenting and turning from your sin and calling on Jesus to forgive you. And so maybe that's the decision that you need to make today. There's going to be leaders here across the front in just a moment as we stand and sing. If this is the decision you need to make, then I want to encourage you to come and to, and to pray and to ask Christ to forgive you of your sin. And however the Lord is speaking to you, now is the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, thank you that we can have boldness and assurance because of Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for those across this room, for those that are watching online. Lord, that today we would receive this word into our hearts. Lord, that we'd be encouraged in our faith. Lord, that we would be encouraged to not give up and to press on and to persevere, to endure. God, I pray for those that 
need to make this decision in their heart to trust in Jesus as their Savior. Lord, that even right now, as the Holy Spirit is at work in their heart and convicting them, that they would respond in obedience and faith. God, for those that you might be calling to become part of our church family, I pray that they would come during this time of invitation and say, this is the place where God has called me to serve and to belong, to to assemble together. So God, I pray that you would move during our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.